Hi there, welcome to Journey On. I'm Dave Smelser. In all of our continued need to grow and find encouragement during this unprecedented worldwide lockdown, some great mystics like Thomas Merton tell us that if we don't miss a particular opportunity that's here, we might get a nice benefit even as we experience all these constraints and suffering. And we'll learn that we have a surprising power to improvise that will mean a lot. Both of things do in fact get hard for us, but also for all the time before that moment. So this week, I'll start with a few stories about good coming from bad that point to Merton's insight. We'll look at some key famous Bible verses about the very real power of experiencing today on its own terms, rather than bracing ourselves for possible suffering, maybe even very possible suffering, that could be around the next corner. I will introduce you to a psychologist who's also a contemplative and has given this stuff a lot of thought, and then to an Indian-American businessman who discovers in visiting relatives in India that it has very real gifts to offer us when our world is chaotic. After hearing some deep thoughts from Merton and considering what might be the single most encouraging thing St. Paul ever wrote down, we will close with what this Indian-American man, Bob Maglani, calls his Embrace the Chaos Manifesto. Before I launch in, let me mention, as I do each week, that I help lead some pretty delightful, encouraging online groups along these lines that perhaps you'd enjoy checking out. We have one Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We have another on Sunday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You will have a chance to connect with great, like-minded people from around the country and beyond. For information about how to get connected, email mail at blueoceanfaith.org. Mail, M-A-I-L, at blueoceanfaith.org. Okay, kick us off, Ryan Hood, for When the Time Comes, You'll Improvise. I've led a few organizations over the years, both in the religion world and in the arts world. And many years back, I began to get uneasy that one of them was about to implode. Other people did not see it. They thought I was oversensitive. You can hazard a guess here about whose story is about to be proven right. And so, along with worrying about the cataclysm that might be on the horizon, I tried three or four things to head things off before they got bad. And then completely suddenly, things did fall off a cliff even worse than I'd been angsting over. None of my efforts to foresee and head off the problem helped at all. But then something unexpected happened. After feeling the pain of the meltdown and feeling hopeless that anything could be salvaged, I had some completely new ideas that might not only preserve the organization, but might also, as a throw-in, make it stronger than it had been before. And unlike my attempts to forestall the meltdown, these new ideas totally worked. Or I think about another out-of-the-ashes story that might hit too close to home, but it's certainly striking. It's about the pandemic of 1918's Spanish flu that our current pandemic is so often compared to. So this is, it has a largely happy ending, but if the last thing you want to hear is a story about a pandemic, skip ahead two minutes and you'll be good. So I mentioned last time that one way I've been passing the time is through reading detective novels. And I reread an early novel by the granddaddy of hard-boiled detective stories, Dashiell Hammett, who most famously wrote the equally wonderful The Maltese Falcon and The Thin Man. The novel I just read was the insane yet fun novel, The Dane Curse. So that got me remembering stories about Hammett. He created the modern private eye story because he worked as a private eye for the massive Pinkerton agency in his younger years. But then, I think he was 25, he enlisted during World War I. He wasn't injured in the war, but he did catch the Spanish flu during that 1918 pandemic. If it's any encouragement during our current craziness, what's happening during the coronavirus, happily, I don't think, can compare to what happened then. More American soldiers died of the Spanish flu than were killed in the war. Anyway, that was the end of the Pinkertons for Hammett, because like so many of his fellow GIs, while he wasn't killed by the flu, 
he was incapacitated from it, as it might have triggered a dormant strain of tuberculosis in him. His mom had died of tuberculosis. So after the war, he was too weak to return with the Pinkertons. So trying to figure out some way to make a living as a tubercular man, he started writing stories about being a detective. And so he ended up creating a new genre. He wrote some big hits, he became famous, and for some periods of his life, he became rich. So, okay, it wasn't all great times for him. He was an alcoholic by his later years, and he died young. But just to say, this horrible turn of events did open up something amazing for him that would never have happened otherwise. So both the Bible and some great spiritual teachers from around the world have related thoughts about how to thrive at uncertain times. And what happened to me, what happened to Hammett, would fit the story they tell pretty well. And they throw in the added bonus of getting to those benefits with peace and joy along the journey there, which is certainly a desirable thing. So there's a famous verse along those lines that's really helped me in the uncertainty of shelter at home and everything that comes with it. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Or as King James Version would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's the first verse of the 23rd Psalm. And then I combine that with this very famous verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6, verse 34, is Jesus commanding us, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble on its own. So that's a negative way of maybe looking at what Psalm 23 talks about positively, and it fits with classic spiritual wisdom, that our spiritual practice is meant to empower us to live in this moment, that all we need is in fact in this moment. And after a few weeks of the pandemic, when I'd have a morning time of prayer and meditation, I felt that God was reminding me of these verses, and each day was asking me if I had everything I needed for that day. And on those terms, I can honestly say that I did, even though several members of our large family sheltering together have, like so many others, lost their jobs since the pandemic began. In fact, this might speak to my privilege for sure, as I reviewed my whole life, it struck me, I don't think I've ever had a day when I haven't had everything I needed, that this was the key provision if I was just looking at that day. And that felt really encouraging in all the uncertainties we all face now. God's track record of caring for me, again, I recognize this might not have been your story, was nonetheless really comforting, and I found my days turned out pretty encouragingly. So the genius here, right, is being asked whether you have everything you need just for this day. Do you have what you need both to be provided for and for this to be a perfectly satisfactory day if you're just looking at between this moment and when you'll go to bed? There's real power to that as the 23rd Psalm and the Sermon on the Mount pitch. But it does raise all sorts of unanswered questions about what we actually need. And figuring out answers to those questions will go a long way towards showing us what it looks like to thrive even when things are so uncertain. So here's the first question to throw your way. So it's well and good if our needs are met for today, even if our needs might have been met for most or all of our days of life so far. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean that we can't reasonably forecast real trouble that could well come up sometime pretty soon. And all the more so now with the sweeping economic and health impacts of the coronavirus. So is the Bible's counsel here that we just need to shine all that on? I think there are a couple of ways that the Bible and the spiritual masters encourage us to think about that. First, Jesus in John's gospel tells us that we're encouraged to be what he calls blind, but in a good way. So this is from John 9. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world. So the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. So being blind here seems sort of like being a sheep in Psalm 23. 
it's being still enough before God to lean into you not knowing how everything is going to be okay. But all that not knowing itself being okay before God. You're blind and kind of leaning into that you're blind. Contemplatives talk about this using another related term that also sounds bad but gets reframed as good, being empty. Here's how this Harvard psychologist who's a contemplative, Mark Epstein, in his book, Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart, talks about this. In my 16th year, he writes, having discovered Samuel Beckett's bleak view of the human condition, I took an informal poll of all 47 members of my high school class and asked who among them was bothered by an inner sense of emptiness or insufficiency, as he was. Only the captain of the football team, a good-natured but decidedly unintellectual fellow, did not admit to harboring such a feeling. So as with being called blind, the power here is leaning into feeling empty, feeling insufficient. Or maybe better put, observing it, as we've sometimes talked about on this podcast, from an alcove behind the waterfall of your emotions, thoughts, and fears. Just looking at all those feelings of emptiness and insufficiency, like you're the watcher who watches it. You're not those feelings themselves. And not engaging with those feelings or trying to fix them. In this spirit, this is from later in Epstein's book. He says, stop trying to understand what you are feeling and just feel. Just pay attention to everything exactly as it appears and don't judge it. To ask our question differently from earlier in a mildly um, new way, do we actually have everything we need when tomorrow is so uncertain, however today goes? If we just blindly, like the sheep in Psalm 23, like the blind and empty sheep in Psalm 23, enjoy what we have today, and then things do in fact go south tomorrow, how should we think about that? An interesting perspective on this comes from a man named Bob Miglani in his book, Embrace the Chaos, How India Taught Me to Stop Overthinking and Start Living. So here's my memory of Miglani's story. He's Indian-American, many relatives in India. He becomes a successful, I think, finance person, so very kind of high-powered, go, 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 type A sort of person. He travels to India for various family events, weddings, etc., and it freaks him out. He points out that India has 1.2 billion people on a third of the landmass of the U.S. So just the chaos of being on top of each other is crazy. He talks about his very first cab ride there. Many of you have taken cab rides in nations like India, and they can be a little crazy. And so he describes how this was really crazy. And there's people, he thinks several people are going to be in accidents, and people are trying to race past him, the cab on the left, and the cab speeds up and then forces them to slow down because there's a tree upcoming in the middle of the road, and they turn a corner, and there's a cow in the middle of the road, and they slam around their brakes and swerve around them, and there's et cetera, et cetera. So Baglani talks about how when the cab uh, ride is over, he says to the cab driver, how do you do that effectively? I mean, how can you be stay sane? Aren't you scared for your life? And the cab driver says, there's not a single ride I ever give anybody where there's not unexpected things that come up all the time. And so my job is just to be in control of what I can do and trust that everybody else is going to make the best decisions based on what they can do. And it all seems to work out. McClawney talks about things like, I mean, he has crazy stories about weddings he goes to, Indian weddings, and it's just nuts and it makes him crazy, but it all works out in the end. But maybe for our purposes here, he talks charmingly about arranged marriage. So his parents, he mentions, have an arranged marriage. He talks about the story of them having an arranged marriage is that his father is invited over to the family of his future mother's uh, home. His mother only comes in and doesn't speak. She serves them tea and then leaves. And then when his father gets home, his uh, Miglani's grandfather asks his father, yes or no, that's it. And his dad says, yes, having not spoken to the woman who will become his mom, just seen her serve them tea. Miglani always thought that was nuts. And he brings it up to a contemporary of his, whom he's known for a while, who lives in India, 
who's also gotten married uh, in an arranged marriage. And her story was that the guy who was going to uh, ultimately propose to her invites her for coffee. They have coffee once. It's pleasant. He invites her for a second uh, round of coffee a little later. He says up front, I wouldn't have invited you to the second coffee if I didn't know I was going to propose to you. And she says, okay, and says yes. Miglani says, that's insane. How could you know it's going to work out? And she says, oh, I kind of had a, you know, I figured if he invited me uh, to a second coffee, he would propose. And so I thought I had enough information on the first cup of coffee to have a feel for him. And so I said, yes. And he says, but you don't even know this guy. You don't know what issues are going to come up from him. You don't know about his family that well. You don't really know. And she looked at him. She says, we'll improvise. And that becomes a major theme for him, that by bracing ourselves against bad things that are coming down the pike, we lose the ability to live and to have the resources that we need to improvise when we need it. And that's one of his big insights in this book, Embrace the Chaos, again, about his experiences of India, is that a place that chaotic requires constant improvisation, and it's assumed, and surprisingly enough, it usually works. And he finds deep implications of that that are, in the end, contemplative implications, as we sometimes talk about here. Now, all of this, of course, goes back to the punchline of my two opening stories. When my organization did go south, I realized I was both very motivated and surprisingly empowered to improvise in the moment. Dashiell Hammett's improvisation, when the worst happened to him, is why anyone's heard of him today. I recently heard one literary critic debating whether Hammett learned from Hemingway, his style, I don't think he did, or Hemingway learned from Hammett, that's possible. But that either way, the two of them had created the central style of the American novel from that point forward. Hammett didn't make it to the 10th grade. But things worked out, at least on that front for him. I mean, what do you think of this? That God, wanting you to experience the Lord as your shepherd and that you would lack nothing, wanting you to let today's troubles be enough for today, has improvised, uh, excuse me, has empowered all that wanting that he has for you by giving you unexpected abilities to improvise when things turn south. Do you believe that? I think it's a big idea. And that might be a required idea, if we want to take David's and Jesus's counsel to heart. Okay, so here's another question that might come up, even if we do take David's and Jesus's words to heart and acknowledge that if we're just looking at the time horizon of now until tomorrow morning, our needs might in fact be met. But even so, aren't there plenty of things we wish were true of our lives beyond just until we go to bed? Bigger things that we wish were true. Maybe we can find our way into a satisfying day to day, but surely we have greater hopes for our lives than just living one relatively satisfying day. I think this is where some of the power of blindness and emptiness comes in. The mystics suggest an image of ourselves with our needs met just for today as being like a little pond. And our goal is for our pond to be still. And the promise is, as we do that, as it is still and not uh, tumultuous, we in fact do have everything in that little pond we need. In the ecosystem of that pond, everything's there, even for the big picture. So here are some thoughts from the great Trappist monk Thomas Merton on what we get with this view of the world. The first thing he says we get, if we live this out, is a big thing indeed. He says, we become a saint. Here's how he puts it in his book, New Seeds of Contemplation. He writes, the eyes of the saint make all beauty holy, and the hands of the saint consecrate everything they touch to the glory of God. And the saint is never offended by anything and judges no one's sin because they do not know sin. They know the mercy of God. They know that their own mission on earth is to bring that mercy to all people. So the saint in all that stillness, kind of holiness comes out of that still pond and good things flow from them that creates kind of an ecosystem and a reality around them of blessing. 
Second thing he says we get out of this, let today's own trouble be enough for today's view of the world, is we get out of our own way and discover who we actually are. We get out of our own way and discover who we actually are. So he writes, a tree gives glory to God by being a tree. The pale flowers of the dogwood outside this window are saints. The little yellow flowers that nobody notices on the edge of that road are saints looking up into the face of God. We can be ourselves or not as we please. We are at liberty to be real or to be unreal. But we cannot make these choices with impunity. To say I was born in sin is to say I came into the world with a false self. Humility consists in being precisely the person you actually are before God. If you have the humility to be yourself, you will not be like anyone else in the whole universe. One of the first signs of a saint may well be the fact that other people do not know what to make of them. So let me back up and say here's what I think he's saying. When we're uh, not still as we live only in today, we get caught up in the froth of our ambitions or fears. And we, Merton argues, no longer know who we are. We are living out of a false self that can never be satisfied and filled up because it's not real. So trees and flowers can only be what they actually are, and so, in his view, are saints. They have no option except to be saints. But we have a choice between our true and false selves. And since most of us have never had this put so starkly to us, most of us have been living out of who we're in fact not. But what an opportunity you and I now have in front of us in a lockdown, in stillness, to be still enough in that pond to discover what it actually is. Finally, Merton says, if we live this way, we might get unstuck. We might get unstuck, he writes. It is not that someone else is preventing you from living happily. You yourself do not know what you want. So this is in the spirit of the previous point. As you, in an older translation, let today's own trouble be sufficient for today. As you ask God if you have everything you need just for today, perhaps you will in fact discover what you want in life. So let's go back to the title of today's journey on. When the time comes, you'll improvise. Let's say that's the case. Let's recap and mildly fill out what that means for your day today. Before we will close then with a charming manifesto along these lines from our friend Bob Maglani. So first, for today, ask God if you have everything you need to be fully provided for just for today. Ask God if you have everything you need to be fully provided for just for today. It starts there. And it means that rather than bracing yourself for the hard thing on the horizon, you revel in what's happening right now, and whatever comes is something you'll deal with when it comes. That's what it means to be blind and empty. You're not looking around the next corner. You're living now. But that means you're vulnerable and unprepared and unprotected. I mean, think of my earlier story where I can foresee this organization I'm leading uh, that it's real trouble is ahead. And I'm trying to alert people, and I'm trying to do stuff, and I'm pretty anxious about it. I just don't feel great. And it does crash. And then I realized, yeah, but all the stuff I'd prepped didn't matter. But my improvisation then mattered a ton, and it worked. Most people, and every great spiritual teacher, says this is much easier to pull off. It's easier to pull off asking God if you have everything you need to be fully provided for just for today. If you have a daily contemplative practice. The Trappist, as I've talked about many times on this podcast, recommend 20 minutes as a starting point. Second, in the spirit of what happened with my imploded organization and with Dashiell Hammett, ask God to make you what St. Paul calls more than a conqueror, whatever happens. Ask God to make you more than a conqueror, whatever happens. This again is quoting Paul in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, obviously, it feels encouraging, like all these bad things that could come your way. You know, how are they going to, they won't hurt you in the end because somehow God's so with you and Jesus is praying for you about this stuff. Pandemics might fit that list just fine. But here's what he says. He says, in these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the idea of being more than a conqueror is that things that threaten to hurt you instead, because of God's love, attention, and power, actively help you. Without tuberculosis, we would never have heard of Dashiell Hammett. Again, I'm not saying he would agree to have tuberculosis to get those benefits. I'm not saying that. He might. I don't know. But just to note the surprising good that came from it. And without my organization's free fall, it couldn't have found its actual footing, its true self, as it were. And of course, you have many stories along these lines, I'm sure, in your life as you think back. So ask God to make you more than a conqueror, whatever happens, that good would come even if bad comes. Let's go back to our friend who wrote about India, Bob Maglani. He closes his book with what he calls an Embrace the Chaos Manifesto along these lines, which I'll pass on in the spirit, if only because it's charming. For those of you trying to grow in the spiritual ways that Journey On talks about, just to know, I don't believe Mr. Maglani is a theist of any sort, though he is a contemplative for what that's worth. If you want to refer to a written copy of this, it's going to be included in the transcript of this podcast at the HelloHoratio.com site. Hello, and then Horatio Hamlet's friend. Horatio is the origin of that. HelloHoratio.com site. Find this podcast. There's a transcript there. Everything you want is in print right there. All right, here is Bob Maglani's Embrace the Chaos Manifesto, which he wants to live by. We are living in chaos. Life is uncertain, unpredictable, complicated, and fast. Accept what it is. Stop overthinking, overplanning, overanalyzing, and trying to predict the future. Let go of trying to control the chaos. Just control yourself, your thoughts, your words, and your actions. Be here. That would be his contemplative side. Be here. Do anything. Say yes. Serve a cause, a person, or a purpose. When you can, take a trip and see the world. When you can being an important thing for those of us under stay-at-home orders. Take action. Your soul knows which way to go. Dig deep. Put your minds and hands to work. Small steps forward can lead to big, unanticipated leaps. Go with the flow and enjoy the ride. You are resilient and know how to improvise. Give randomness and luck a chance to surprise you. Let intuition and spontaneity be your guide. Stop worrying. Don't wait. Things have a way of working out in the end. Go ahead. Embrace the chaos. On that note, from Bob Maglani, that's it for this week's Journey On. May your own chaos this week be richly filled with the presence and work of a good God who has you and your family and your challenges very much in view. See you next time.